0: My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said it is, but others said, no, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the pharisees now jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on the sabbath so then the pharisees also asked him how he was able to see he said to them he put clay on my eyes and i washed and now i can see so some of the pharisees said this man is not from god because he does not keep the sabbath But others said, how can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, "He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind how does he now see his parents answered and said we know that this is our son and that he was born blind we do not know how he sees now nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he is of age he can speak for himself his parents said this because they were afraid of the jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, if he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, you are that man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. We do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind, If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe Lord and he worshiped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see might see. And those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were there with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Not as man sees, does God see. Because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. Those words from the Old Testament book of Samuel that we heard proclaimed in the first reading today are some of the most beautiful, humbling, and haunting words that we can encounter. There's beauty in the realization that God, the creator of all that was, all that is, all that ever will be, sees all that was, all that is, all that will ever be. That he's not a creator who just big banged everything into existence and then sits apart disinterested in what he has done. His seeing is that of knowledge, his sight is that of one interested. It's a seeing and a sight that goes beyond the surface into the most intimate part of each and every one of us, the heart. And what, that's what makes it so humbling and haunting. The only thing we know for sure is our hearts, the place and space that maintains all of our thoughts and motivations and hopes and dreams and intentions. And even that can be complex and confusing at times for us to navigate about ourselves. When we acknowledge that truth, we recognize that we're in a vulnerable place. A place that's hard to make judgments about ourselves and most certainly about other people. Not as man sees does God see. Because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. When God first uttered those revelatory words about the nature of who he is and the reality of the world to Samuel, it was at a pivotal moment in the history of humanity. The Jewish people, God's chosen people, had been told that they would have no king but God himself. That was one of many ways that they were to be set apart, that they were to be different from the rest of the world, living differently than any other kingdom of people. Long story short, they stubbornly demanded to be like everyone else. They wanted a king too. Despite history having shown them time and time again that things didn't go well when they decided not to listen to God and to follow their own impulses, God eventually relented. And at this point, they had had a king named Saul who had turned absolutely wicked. So God is sending Samuel to go find the one he wanted to call as the new king and to anoint the new king. God directs Samuel to this little town of Bethlehem and tells him that the next king is one of the sons of a man named Jesse. One detail that our our lectionary leaves out is that Jesse, the father, had assumed that it was one of the first seven of his boys. There was no way the king could be son number eight, the youngest, David. And his dismissal of David from even being possibly considered is often thought that Jesse was overlooking David as maybe he was being too quick and hasty or harsh in his judgment but we don't know what was in Jesse's heart. Jesse has been there through every step of these guys' development from birth to becoming young men. He's been there through their best and their worst days, experienced their reactions to things, how they dealt with failure and success, witnessed their strengths and talents that helped animate their lives, the weaknesses that had been obstacles. So was Jesse basing it on that? Was it that this was his youngest son, his last son, his baby boy, that made Jesse overly protective, biased, and possessive, that he didn't want David to be thrust into this new role with such great responsibilities and taken away from him? Scriptures are, are silent on all that. We don't know what was in Jesse's heart. But that experience is what causes God to speak those words to Samuel, as Samuel takes in son number one, Eliab, and is imagining this has got to be the guy or one of the other six brothers in the room, not ever imagining that Jesse's left anyone out, that son number eight is out in the fields tending the sheep. It's only after going through all the older ones, each who mature and gifted in their own ways, but each that God rejects as the next king, and when young David walks in, immediately God speaks to Samuel, there, anoint him, this is the one. There was a clarity, there was an immediacy that must have been stunning. Not as man sees does God see, because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. Those words and in this incident are so pivotal as we enter into this gospel, this fourth Sunday of Lent, this season of Lent where we're meant to take and make time and space to be alone with the Lord and to examine our hearts, which is difficult work. And we need God's help in setting ourselves straight on how to do that. Because on our own, we tend to revert to our default of going with the appearances staying on that surface level and that's why this gospel is such a gift at this point of lent we encounter so much of the human experience in this one episode right out of the gate we're confronted with one of the biggest questions of life why is there suffering why is someone experiencing difficulty A handicap, an illness, a trial, a disability. For the most part, people base their answers on their own experiences, just observing life, their reading of scripture, or what they've been taught. This man, who people saw as simply born blind, and the guy who begs on the street corner, they had assumed he had sinned, his parents had sinned, someone had sinned. And Jesus, being God, who knows all things, clearly tells the disciples that's not the case. At the very beginning of this miraculous incident, he says that the reason the man was born blind was so that the works of God might be made visible through him. But in the process, look at what happened. Not only is this man's life transformed by this amazing miracle, but there's a complete revelation of the hearts of all those around him. Even though man sees the appearance, we realize this community has encountered the man born blind for years and hasn't even done that well. They argue after the miracle, is this the one? With two groups saying it is or it looks like him. One biblical commentator made the joke saying it sounds like those old Bud Light commercials, taste great, less filling. It is him. It just looks like him as they go back and forth at each other. The neighbors, they can't see past their judgment and the narrative in their minds. Blind guy begs, sinned or parents sinned, period. For their part, the man's parents, they can't see past their fear. They know it's their son. They know for sure that he has been born blind and has been throughout his entire life, but rather than the ecstatic joy you would think would be the response after their son experienced this miracle, after all those whispers of who sinned, had plagued them for years, had just been obliterated, instead we hear fear as they distance themselves from him. Yes, he's our son. Yes, he's been blind from birth, but We have no idea how he sees now. Just ask him. He's of age. Maybe they had just gotten used to and comfortable with this life that they were living, given up on dreams of things ever being different, abandoning hope that prayers could be answered. But most definitely they were scared because the Pharisees had already decided who Jesus was or rather who he wasn't. They were not going to hear he was the Christ. Their hardness of hearts was so solidified, they don't see how ridiculous and illogical they're becoming. This man, who hasn't been able to see his entire life, points out the irony as he says, Isn't this amazing? You have no idea where Jesus is from, yet I'm the one who's been blind all this time. As then the man born blind continues and calls him out, we know God does not hear sinners, but if a man fears God and does his will, this man, God, hears. For all of the past time, it's never been heard anyone open the eyes of a man born blind. If this one were not from God, he would be powerless to do anything. The man born blind sees everything, physically and spiritually. He's moved from darkness to light as he's been enlightened by Jesus. And that makes everyone else very, very nervous. Their fragile understandings of life, all based on the most surface, superficial of understandings about God, of one another, of themselves, is now totally upended by a man born blind being cured by Jesus. Because they're confronted with questions like, How is fear blinding us to the presence and action of God? Perhaps instead of being self-righteous and thinking that he or his parents have been sinners all these years, have we been missing how sin has crept into our lives? Maybe our understandings of God have been corrupted and narrowed to the point that we didn't even recognize we were seeing him in our image instead of the other way around. That we had in fact fallen for the tempter's lies to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and started to believe we're gods ourselves. They're confronted by those questions, but rather than considering them, they expel the blind man from their midst. They'd rather see with the appearances, they'd rather stay on that surface, superficial layer, rather than to look into their own broken hearts that was covered with darkness. Jesus wants to heal and enlighten everyone, and he sees our hearts. He sees the tension, the confusion, the conflicts that reside there, particularly when we're confronted with something inexplicable, like why is someone born blind? St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the brilliant theological mind from the 13th century, once explained that there are five reasons for such an affliction. The worst case is that it's the beginning of a damnation. It's the result of something evil that we've embraced that unless we repent of, will lead to far worse than the pain of this situation here and now. But sometimes afflictions are to correct us from wrongdoing in our past or to steer us from future sinful choices. Sometimes they're meant to encourage virtue. And sometimes They're sent to be opportunities for God's glory to shine forth, like the man born blind. The only way, though, that we can discern which of those things it is that we're experiencing when we're confronted by such trials, the only way through those trials, is when we fix our eyes on the Lord's loving gaze, that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and let Him into that secret, vulnerable space deep within which can be so frightening for us to consider. Not as man sees, does God see, because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. He sees the pain, he sees the fear, he sees why we resist and we hesitate. He sees the shame and the guilt. He sees how often we've allowed what others have seen, what others have said to malign our visions about ourselves, about others, and about God. Things that have blinded us and left us as beggars simply trying to survive as we accept the status quo. The man born blind, though, look at what happens. The miracle didn't just happen instantly and immediately, even though it could have if Jesus had wanted to. He's demonstrated he has that ability. But for the man born blind, after Jesus touches him and anoints his eyes with the mud that he created, he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, waters that he had probably washed in numerous times before and had done nothing other than temporarily relieve and cleanse him, but this time, this day would be different, because it wasn't the mud, it wasn't the water, it was faith. The blind man's life only changed when in faith he listened to Jesus' words and believes them and acts on them. On this fourth Sunday of Lent, we're being challenged on where is our faith? Are we willing to look past our surfaces and go deep in our hearts with Jesus? What needs healing and restoration that we've perhaps gotten too cynical to believe Jesus wants to bring healing and restoration to? What sins do we try to hide and deny because we're embarrassed and we're ashamed of that, that we keep resisting going to the sacrament of reconciliation where Jesus wants us to go to confession so we can receive his forgiveness and be absolved of all those sins. The man born blind testifies boldly to us here today. Jesus wants to remove whatever it is that's blinding us from seeing ourselves, seeing others, and seeing God himself as we truly are and who we're called to be.